The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Cordyceps Chronicles, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, January 16th, 2023, and I'm your host, Priscilla Obregon. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-host, Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome, everyone. We're going to try to be fun guys and gals. <laughs> and Vinny Hatcher. Dang it, that was exactly the same intro line I was going to use, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, someone to take it. Was like, so good. Corny people I, think my, alike. My backup, my backup was going to be Cordyceps Her. I hardly know her. Oh, Ooh. I like that. <laughs> but hello, listeners. It's been a while. Hmm. So with introductions out of the way, let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 1, which is titled... When You're Lost in the Darkness, and debuted January 15th, 2023, via HBO. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. In 2023, a fungal virus sparks a global pandemic and turns its victims into bloodthirsty attackers. Joel flees with his daughter, Sarah, as the virus starts to spread, but she's killed by a soldier who attacks them, while Joel is saved by his brother, Tommy. 20 years later, the virus has ravaged the world. Joel lives in the Boston quarantine zone and managed by the Federal Disaster Response Agency, FEDRA, as a smuggler with his partner Tess. When Tommy fails to contact them from his location in Wyoming, they try to buy a car battery from a local dealer, but it is instead sold to the Fireflies, a rebel group that opposes FEDRA. Attempting to retrieve it, they find the deal has gone awry, and Marlene, the Firefly's wounded leader, begs Joel and Tess to take young Ellie to the Massachusetts State House in exchange for supplies. They are caught by a soldier while sneaking out, and Ellie stabs him when he tests them for infection. When the soldier tries to shoot her, Joel beats him to death. Tess realizes Ellie is infected, but Ellie promises them she will not turn. They enter a biological contamination area to flee the pursuing Fedra soldiers. So, before we get into the discussion of the episode, I just want to ask a quick question just to gauge the amount of background knowledge y'all have. I know that this was a game. I watched my husband play it because I have stupid fingers and cannot, like, plan out and stealth attack things worth a damn. I just rush into things. But So I know the general story of it. But I wanted to know, did you guys know about the game? Have you played it? What's your background on this? And I'll start with you, Vinny. So I have probably attempted to play this game 35 times. And every single time I get to a very specific spot that I just for the life of me cannot get past. And it's 
the exact spot that the first episode ended on. It's the tilted over skyscraper with the clickers. They always find me and I get very mad and stop. Um, so that's my practical experience. But when I give up in defeat, I have gone and read about the story and I know what happens and I know the general gist. I mean, it's been a while since I read, um, but I'm, I've been very aware of the game. Uh, my partner has beaten it multiple times and I'm about to start my next playthrough and try again. <laughs> when if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Maybe yes. you'll make it this time. Uh, Jeffrey, what about you? You said you have stupid fingers? Yes, I'm not dexterous at all, especially not when it comes to, like, playing video games. That's why I play, like, calm, like, games like Pokemon or, like, farming games or stuff like that. Like, Well, stupid not... fingers and rushing into things, you'd be perfect for Fortnite, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, so that's all that I do in Fortnite. But anyway, um, as far as this game... And listeners, just take your headsets off for at least 30 seconds, because if you enjoy this game, you're not going to like what I have to say. I had never heard of this game until this series was announced, so I am brand new to this world. I did you know, do a little bit of research because I did not want to come into this like naked, blind, however you want to word it. You know, I wanted to at least understand a little bit about the mythology about the game and, in essence, this show. So I did read about the um, the classification of the infected and that kind of stuff. But outside of just a basic understanding of what I was going to be watching, that's all the research that I did a couple days ago in preparation for this podcast and viewing the episode last night. I try not to go too deep because um, I didn't want any spoilers. And uh, since I'm not the moderator, I don't have to, you know, go in too deep to, like, try to understand everything. So I tried to keep it light. Um, I know that this is an adaptation, so clearly there are some changes, and I do remember when they announced it, and as they announced the cast and that sort of thing, I do remember reading that, you know, oh, this is going to be a new character, and this is going to be an original character for the show, and that kind of stuff. So I know that they are doing some changes, but I also know that they're doing an incredible um, amount of homages to the game, which, um, you know, I've seen clips you know, the past 24 hours on social media of people doing actual, like, shot-by-shot comparisons between the game and the show. And I'm like, okay, you know, for the people that know the game, that love the game, props to the creators for making a um, pretty faithful adaptation and expansion. Yeah, we're going to get into it, but I just want to say, like, this is one of, like, the prettier like more like more accurate rendition of a game like it's no freaking cheesy street fighter or new mortal Kombat. like they kept the soul of the game making a little bit of tweaks to make it more like modern or more like accessible to different people since like we'll get to it but like the protagonists were mostly white people and they added like a twist, a new flavor with POCs. So, like, I I liked it. I, I really liked it. When you were but, talking about uh, game-to-screen adaptations, were you throwing shade to 1993's Super Mario Brothers, the movie? Oh, I loved that one. That I know, but isn't it, isn't it such a horrible little one? 
I oh mean, it's, it's, you know, we were kids, so we thought it was fantastic, but I mean, let's it be real. was such a tantrum because I saw that movie in theaters, and when we got out, I was crying and stomping my foot because it was nothing like the game. <laughs> uh, why does Luigi end up with Peach? That sucks. <laughs> oh, she wasn't even Peach terrible. in the damn movie. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> okay, so to get away from gameplay and on to the show, let's begin right at the at 1968, where we're introduced to a talk show where there are two epidemiologists chatting. Dr. Newman, played by uh, our podcast's favorite, John Hanna, who was in Marvel's Agents S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, is more worried about fungi than a viral pandemic. And we have opening credits, which I'll ask your opinion about in a minute. But to continue, it cuts to 2003 in Austin, Texas. Joel, Sarah, and Tommy Miller have breakfast and talk about what they're doing for Joel's 36th birthday. Over the radio, you hear disturbances in Jakarta. Sarah takes Joel's broken watch and some money and goes to school, then goes to a watch repair shop uh, where... They kind of hurriedly rush her out, but with a fixed watch. She goes to her neighbor's house. In the background, you see the old woman twitch oddly, mouth open wide. The dog, Mercy, is scared. And you hear jets fly overhead as Sarah goes home. So you have the presentiment that something bad's about to happen. Joel arrives late, sans cake, and receives Sarah's gift. Then they watch TV. As Joel tucks Sarah in, he gets a call from Tommy about a bar fight causing him to be stuck in jail to please come bail him out. So we have a lot of, like, interesting little tidbits. So I'm going to pause here for half a second and go for the fresh meat in the house. Jeffrey, what did you think about this intro? Okay, so the stuff, the the uh, 1960s television, uh, the doctors chatting on ABC – Incredibly fascinating, uh, a little bit eye-opening, because I feel like nobody really thinks of, like, a fungus among us. You know, like, they're going to all of a sudden attack humans and that sort of thing. So as he was talking and as, as everyone was sort of reacting to what he was saying, because at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds plausible, right? I mean, clearly, this is the, it's the premise of the damn show. So because it sounded so damn plausible and no one had ever really thought of it, you know, I was, like, reacting the way everyone else was reacting to it. I mean, it was incredibly fascinating. Um, and then the jump to 2003, uh, can I just say shout-out to Nico Parker, just fantastic as Sarah. Um, I didn't know anything about the game, but I knew she was doomed. <laughs> just because she was just too nice. And I was like, based off of just the trailers, poor Joel, you know, he's seen better days. And I was like, okay, clearly this poor wonderful, I mean, she's just wanting to fix a watch. She just wants to eat some cake. Like, she's living her best life. Like, I knew this poor girl was going to have to die somehow. It wasn't the way that I thought, um, but I was like, you're doomed. 
Um, and, and shout out to Nico Parker. Uh, I, I adore her mother. And so seeing her just become this incredibly capable young actor is, is just fantastic. So I, I was immediately rooting for her, even though I knew bad shit was going to go down. When um, Grandma, in the background, was doing her best, um, you know, horror movie trope, I was like, oh, no, like, you need to leave. Please leave. Like, I know you're probably going to die, but I don't need you to die right now. Like, you need to live just a little bit longer. And, and she listened to me. Through the TV, she listened to you. She did, but yeah. I want to know what you thought of the opening, because you are the one that's, like, usually, like, really strict about, like, openings being either good or bad. Like, did this one impress you? I thought it was really neat what they did. You know, it was basically um, fungi growing, and, and uh, you know, we, we saw sort of, like, this... Uh, I'm assuming it's the cordyceps. Uh, it w- it grew into like the United States, and then it it was fascinating, like the branching of it. Um, it was it was a little gross in a way, not in like a like an ill kind of way, but it 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 you know it, I don't know. It evoked a really interesting reaction for me as I was watching, and I was like, oh shit, like this is gonna be some good stuff. Um, I like I like it. Like I liked it. I thought it was really neat. The VFX of uh, the the fungus, you know, just spreading around, and it was also a part of the actual title, which I thought was interesting. Um, based off of what we saw later in the episode, I guess that's how the fungus grows inside of a human host. Um, so I, th- I thought it was neat. It was uh, appropriate. Is probably the best term. So we've gotten the opinion from the newbie. Now we got we got the veteran's opinion. What did you think, Vinny? So I honestly could have done without the newscast documentary thing in the beginning. Obviously, they had to simplify explanations to give audiences that are going to be drawn to this who never played the game what the foundation of the pandemic is. However, for me, even if I had never played the game and I didn't know about it, part of my favorite thing about apocalyptic, dystopian, zombie movies like this is the cause of the virus being unknown, right? Like, sure, you're going to be able to determine that it's fungal-based because of what the zombies look like and all of that. Um, But I feel like it was over-explained. I think it was overly setting up and, like, simplifying what was about to come. I could have done without the opening. It was probably my least favorite part of the entire episode. Um, I I found myself kind of looking away. It didn't really do it for me, and I thought it would have been more appealing to either do what they did in the game and have, like, newscast clips in the opening credits or something, but still not give away everything. And I feel like they gave away the cause of this virus like they made it so transparent that it takes away some of the suspense of what could be great going on the journey with joel and ellie finding out more about it uh, not to say that it's bad i just i don't think that it was necessary i think it would have been better to kind of give people something much more akin to the game experience and start to unravel more and more as you go through um other than that the the opening area of of the show was great for me i really really enjoyed it can I give a quick counterpoint to Vinny? Yes. Okay, because I respect your opinion, and, and, you know, different minds think in different ways. So I, I hear what you're saying, but for me, 
I didn't mind it just because, not to compare this to another show that's like post-apocalyptic <laughs> and a virus and all that kind of stuff, but I think one of the things that kind of hindered The Walking Dead a little bit is because we never really got an explanation as to why it happened. It just sort of happened, and yes, there were flashes to, you know, pre-apocalyptic life, but we never did get the answer. And I think by giving it to us, not giving us the full answer, but giving us a reason as to why it happened, we still don't really know how it happened, per se. Like, at the end of the episode, we don't know how it spread Kind of. I mean, we have our, our theories and that sort of thing, but because they gave us a foundation, I thought that was good enough for me for right now. So we have a little bit of a foundation as to where it came from. We don't really know how the entire globe officially got it, per se. And I was cool with that. So since most of you, like, discussed, like, the different points of view of the opening. I'm just going to, like, talk about two things that, like, came to mind as we were, like, chatting about this that, like, appealed to me a lot from the opening. One is uh, in the gameplay, you get, like, a newspaper clip that uh, kind of insinuates that uh, um, shipping was blocked on certain types of food because they were worried that that was spreading the contagion. And there are little hints, and this is, like, my crackpot theory, that uh, it it stems from, like, exactly what the epidemiologist said. We put, like, yeast and, like, we put, like, fungus in our breads and stuff like that. And we get little hints, like, uh, they didn't get to have pancake mix in the morning. They didn't get cake. Uh, she didn't eat any of the oatmeal cookies. And the old lady that was infected had biscuits in the morning. So, like, little things like that make me think, like, are they really bringing up, like, the theory that was, that was like, portrayed in the game here? And if so, like, that'd be kind of interesting. I'd, I'd like that. Or is it just going to be, like, a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to, like, something that's kind of, like, almost throwaway in the game? So, I like that. And... Also, like, one of the big glaring things that, like, as a gamer, like, you notice is that, like, Joel was a white Texan man. Ellie was a white Texan girl. And, of course, the brother, Tommy, was also white. And, like, they completely changed the game by having a Chilean, an African-American mixed-race girl, and, uh, like, Mexican-American, like, actor, like, all all these, like, different races, like, play characters that aren't originally that. And I loved that. I thought it was so, like, it didn't take away anything from it because really, like, their race doesn't really matter so long as, like, they're good actors and they're, like, doing, like, a good job. And I will say, like, Luna, um, Pascal, and, like, Sarah's actor, Thandwee Newton, who, like, I saw her and I was like, you look like your mother. Oh, my God. Like, but they, they're doing an amazing job at this. And although we still get some stupid comments from online where they're like, wait, if he's Hispanic, why does he have a black daughter? That makes no sense. I'm like, 
these people have never heard of mixed race kids like in their lives and even if they didn't like can it be like a Cinderella thing like a Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella where nobody cares because it's just a really good actor playing really good role like it's just it was it was very eye-rolly to me when I read comments like that from the peanut gallery but other than that like I I'm I approved of the opening I I kind of lean more towards um what uh Jeffrey was saying that I I liked the fact that they gave kind of an interesting way to explain what's going on in the world without like handing it to you on a platter and saying this is what's happening this is the news like the way the game is like the game has to like give you information right away but the epidemiologist chat like kind of let the viewers think instead of a virus can fungi really be, like, scary? Which adds a new twist when the opening ends up, like, right afterwards. And, again, it's scary because you see these things growing and you're like, you know, I didn't really think of the mushrooms on my pizza as scary before, but, like, now I see them with respect. So I, I, I really liked the opening. I thought it was one of the stronger bits of the, of the episode. We're all going to become paranoid. Like, the shiitake's, like, plotting against us. <laughs> that's okay because you know do you know how you identify a poison mushroom that might turn you into a zombie how you give it to someone else to eat first Ooh! <laughs> i like that <sighs> all right then so we'll continue on with uh three hours later uh sarah wakes up to helicopters explosions and car alarms outside the TV says to stay indoors, but Mercy, the dog, slams on the window. Sarah goes outside to take Sarah to take Mercy to her home, but she's scared and runs away. When Sarah goes to the neighbor's house to let them know that Mercy's out, she steps in a trail of blood leading to her dead neighbors and the elderly woman, now possessed by fungi, devouring them. She attacks, and Sarah runs outside, and then Joel, reacting... Beats her down with a wrench. They get in the car and talk about the emergency, rationalizing they aren't sick because they didn't go into the city. They abandon a stranded family on the road, veer from, veer away from a crowded highway and a blocked area by the army to go into town to get to the interstate on the other side. People are panicking in the street and Joel says just to drive, like to run him over if you have to which they do until they almost get hit by another car. And then, surprise out of nowhere, the truck tumbles from an airplane crashing nearby. So I'm going to pause here because this is a pretty hectic scene and say, Vinny, what did you think? So anytime I watch anything like this, one of my favorite parts is when shit just hits the fan and everyone's running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And I this was done phenomenally. Just, you know, the pacing of the episode in the beginning when we're meeting the characters and we're getting a vignette into their lives and, you know, it's it's very laid back, Texas, or wherever they are. And, you know, all of a sudden it just, it bumps it up, you know, it was, and the thing is, is if you think about it, we were getting hints from the very beginning that stuff was going downhill and they did it very slowly and then it just hits this crescendo and the it's so funny because like airplanes crashing is like a staple in any disaster movie. <laughs> and this one, they did it really, really well. Like I loved seeing not one, but multiple airliners 
just flying and crashing and the way that the the accident took place and how it impacted the main characters it was just cinematography was excellent the, the absolute chaos with all of the people like i found it very hard to tell who was a cordyceps and who was a human running from a cordyceps at first when they were driving through the street and just the absolute way that they really captured the realistic aspect of like okay if i was in this situation and I'm trying to escape and I'm trying to get there. And I found myself on a main street with a bunch of people in front of me that I didn't know who was good or who was bad. One of the first things that I would be thinking about is like, if I drive, I'm going to run over these people. And they actually kind of have a conversation about that, which I thought was a really nice touch of realism because most of these movies at that point, people don't even think about that. They just start plowing people down. So I thought it added an aspect of humanity, which is something that is really prevalent in the games. So I love the way that they wove the tale there and probably one of the best parts of the entire episode. Jeffrey, your thoughts? Echoing a lot of what Vinny said, because he, he captured the moment really well. But I want to add that having this sort of like this first like 30 minute like uh, prologue to what we're going to be seeing, be have it be Sarah, the focus. Once again, props to Nico Parker for knocking it out the park. I did read that apparently in the game there is um, when you start off the game, you are you play as Sarah, so you see her POV. So expanding upon that in the series by like really showing Sarah's like day-to-day life, I thought was really well done. Clearly Sarah as a teen has not watched a lot of horror movies because if you watch horror movies, you know that number one, animals, AKA dogs and babies, they see more than we do with our adult eyes or our grown up eyes you trust the dog. You're supposed to trust Mercy. If Mercy does not want to go in the house, you do not go in the house. So uh, clearly she didn't get that memo, which is fine. Uh, but all of that was incredibly fascinating. Uh, yeah, just the, um, I don't know what you would call it, the, the fungi tendrils coming out of Granny's mouth. So gross and spectacular all at the same time. And then the moment in the car, I gave props about a year and some change ago for a a scene in the Marvel Disney Plus series, Hawkeye, where we got what was, in my opinion, one of the best car chases, car chase sequences on film. I don't know if I would call this a car chase sequence because it's not like they're being chased by another car. But the cinematography inside of the car showing us from their POV what's going down outside, spectacular. I don't know how much of that was a one take. I don't know if it was multiple takes just seamlessly edited into one another. But props to all of the actors on the streets playing the hell out of their roles of either being attacked, terrified attackers, infected, all of that stuff. It was magical to see because I felt like I was in that damn car with that family trying to escape. It was just brilliant. Props to the HBO budget. I'm just saying. Like, they put some money into that. And I also read that in the game, apparently, it's a car crash 
that um, sort of like knocks the car over and, and gives us that moment where everyone has to sort of come to in the middle of chaos. The fact that we got a plane crash, I mean, you know this is, this has a budget, people. This has a budget, because to make a plane crash happen and make it look so real, it was spectacular. Kudos, as Priscilla would say, chef's kiss. And we're not even done with the episode. This is barely just almost 30 minutes of uh, screen time. I'm going to, like, reiterate what you said about, like, the, the babies, because that's exactly what I thought. I thought when the, the when the dog started getting nervous, listen to the dog, Sarah. Don't fuck around. But Priscilla, I had to think about this. It was 2003, a much more innocent time. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I will also say, like, there were a lot of people online complaining about, like, the motion from the camera made me sick. It was too, like, shaky. And I'm like, to that, I'm like, you people, you sweet summer children, you didn't play the game. So, like, or or watch a Let's Play of it at the very least. Because, like, there, it's shaky. And it's from the viewer's perspective. So, like, the, the truck is bouncing around the bumps and later in the future bouncing around people's corpses as it's running them over. Like, of course you're going to have, like, a shaky camera. Like, that's real life. Like, how do you go about walking throughout your day and not, like, feel like the motion of going up and down? Like, it just, it it confused the hell out of me. Because, again, like you, Jeffrey, I loved the cinematography. I thought it was spectacular. And... I will say, like, I'm very vocal and reactive to watching TV, and when they were, like, driving, and they got to the point where there were a lot of people running in the street, I was like, just drive, run them over, you gotta get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, like, I didn't even think about what Vinny said about, like, you gotta be humanistic, you gotta think this through. Like, my instinct was just Drive! Put the pedal to the metal! You gotta get out of there! So, Listeners, if you see Priscilla in the post-apocalyptic world, run. Because she will <laughs> run you over. I gotta survive, man! But, um, yeah. Okay, since we've gone over this part, we'll go to, um, what appear- what to me was a pivotal moment in the episode. So everyone except Sarah is fine from the car crash. She's hurt her ankle and can't walk. Joel carries Sarah but gets blocked from Tommy by another explosion. And they both promise to meet near the river. As Joel and Sarah cut through a diner, which looks suspiciously like a CVS, but it's a diner. They're attacked by an infected man who is shot outside by a SWAT team member who then orders Joel and Sarah not to move. He gets orders from the CB radio to kill them, and as Joel figures it out and runs, the SWAT guy shoots, and Joel tumbles down a hill. The SWAT guy follows Joel to finish the job, only to get shot by Tommy. Joel runs to Sarah, who's shot in the abdomen, and sadly and painfully, she dies in Joel's arms. Vinny, you knew this was coming. What Mm -hmm. This still kicked me in the emotional cojones. <laughs> like, I also want to point out that, like, the detail was amazing. Obviously, there are some slight differences, you know, compared to the when this happens in the games. But I want to point out that 
Sarah was wearing the exact same T-shirt and necklace that she wore in the game. Like, I was immersed. Like, she was Sarah to me. Like, all these complainers about different race, playing different race, whatever. No, I to me, she did a fucking amazing job. Like, this was phenomenal acting on her part. I mean, I'm not going to say that I cried, but I came very close, right? Being... Being, you know, warned about this by having played the game and knowing it was coming, it gave me a little bit of a cushion and a buffer, but still, it was a very pivotal point for the character of Joel because it pretty much sets his emotional state going forward for the rest of the narrative. And Nico Parker, you know, she pulled the rug. I would not want to be you, Jeff. I would not want to be someone that didn't know this was coming beforehand (laughs) because, like, they really make you think that she's going to be a main character, that there's no way she can die. And just like it does to Joel, it pulls the rug out from under you and really hits you in the feels. And I think it was a huge sacrifice that pays off for the narrative because the sacrifice of such an emotionally connective character really helps the viewer be immersed or the player be immersed in the loss that people continually suffer in these apocalyptic circumstances. And it it just it put me back playing the game all over again and being so pissed off when she died. You know, the 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 way that she was just heaving and trying to breathe and trying to talk and then the way that they pan away for a second and Tommy's like Joel and, and you pan back and she's dead. Like it, it was just really, really well acted, filmed. I, hands down, it was it exceeded my expectations. Jeffrey, did it hit you in the emotional cojones too? Not as much because I, I had a feeling she had to die. As I mentioned earlier, because of the trailers and the story seems to be Joel and this mysterious girl traveling the U.S. for a particular reason in the post-apocalyptic world. And in the trailers, you don't really see Sarah, unfortunately. It was one of those moments where the trailers, I don't want to say ruined, but it certainly, it, 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 um, it gave me an understanding of who Joel was. And unfortunately, Sarah can't exist for Joel to become the man he is in the future. So I was like waiting for it to happen. I'm glad it didn't happen how I thought it was going to, because I was really worried she was going to become Cordycept. And at like everything, I was like, oh, please, I don't know how it spread. So I don't know if she had to get scratched by one of them or bit by one of them. Or anything. So I was like, oh, I I just, I don't want that to happen because I feel like that would have been much more horrific for Joel. Like if he had to like, you know, murk her so that she doesn't become like one of them or if she completely turns and then he's got to kill her. Like I feel like that would have been horrific. But this was just as horrific because it was, you know, it was gun violence and... I mean, let me just rewind for half a second, because that whole sequence with the man that was infected that chased them, like, I was so nervous. I was so glad that he was, like, kind of bumbling, because, uh, you know, he didn't really know how the fuck to run. Like, he was just crashing into everything. So I was like, okay, good, that gives him extra time to run away from your ass. Uh, So that was very suspenseful for me. And then once we saw the military person, I was like, oh, no, she's probably going to get shot. And then she gets shot. And I did feel for Joel. And, and I mean, I was sad that Sarah wasn't going to continue on just because she was played spectacularly, as we've been saying, by Nico Parker. And, you know, she was she started off almost like the heart of the show. And now you remove the heart. 
And uh, when you remove the heart, you know, you see what Joel becomes in the future. So, uh, and based off of uh, just comparison videos that I've seen online, I mean, this seems to be a very almost faithful recreation of uh, a moment from the game, which I will give them props for doing that as well. But uh, even though I was kind of anticipating it, it still did hit tug at my heartstrings, just because, you know, I knew it was coming, but I didn't want it to happen. See, I'm going to disagree with you on two things. One, I knew it was going to happen too, but it's still like, God, Uh, to be fair though, I am a sucker when it comes to father-daughter moments, like whether they're like really sweet or whether they're really heart-wrenching. Like I have a great dad, like an amazing dad. So like I always flash back to like what he would do with me and like my heart breaks. So when I saw him like hold her in his arms and being like, come on, baby, wake up. I'm just like, no, I almost cried. Like I, I like turned my face away from the screen and like, gasped a little bit and I tried to control my breathing so I wouldn't cry because I was like she was Sarah I felt terrible like you knew she wasn't going to be a final girl but like you still wanted her to be like you believed her which is great like that she managed to get um audience connection with her within 30 minutes like that was that's really good like for an actress to do and the other thing that, that I'm slightly going to disagree with you, that Cordyceps infected man reminded me so much. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but um, in 2010, there was like a horror movie called Legion with like the angel Michael, like protecting yes. a pregnant woman from like the devil. And there was like this old lady that kind of does like acrobatic tricks on the freaking like diner's desk trying to get <laughs> Okay, I know what you're talking about. But he was doing basically that, and I was like... He wasn't doing tricks. He was chasing them, and he kept on falling. No, he was jumping on the tables and, like, using his, like, arms and legs to, like, kind of crawl through things. Like, it was... It looked intense. I was like, how the hell are you going to run away carrying a heavy little girl... And, like, almost limping yourself, like, by being tired from this, like, creature that apparently, like, isn't getting fatigued at all and has, like, almost, like, Cirque du Soleil, like... Not Cirque du Soleil. Agility. What the hell? Like, I was I just... I was freaking out. I was... I, I loved that scene. So, okay. We've gotten both of your opinions, so now we'll go on ahead past the sadness to 20 years later in 2023 Boston a child shambles to the gates and passes out of the demilitarized zone the kid is brought inside the quarantine zone and tied up he answers no questions silent and they check him with a machine that turns red the woman in charge promises him safety and gives him a shot and the scene then cuts to people burning bodies and we see the child's body head covered by a bag A woman refuses to take him to be burned, but Joel just takes the initiative and burns him without care. Joel is now a smuggler, making a behind-the-scenes deal, exchanging pills for ration cards from a Fedra soldier. 
The soldier warns Joel about the resistance group, the fireflies attacking, and warns him to stay indoors. The scene cuts to Tess, who's trying to convince the man who ripped her off, Robert, to let her go. He sold her promised battery to someone else and spent all her rations cards, and then his men beat Tess up. A bomb blows up just before Robert agrees to let Tess go, and she escapes, and a FEDRA officer, believing she's a firefly, takes her in forcefully. Pretty rough day for Tess. So, what did you think of this time jump, Jeffrey? I liked it. I felt it was appropriate because we, you know, we had to get to a point where Joel has become a much more hardened man. Uh, I thought the introduction to this quarantine zone was really interesting. I mean, you know, the fact that they murked a child, but an infected child uh, was... uh, I was like, oh, that's gangsta. That, that was about as gangsta as when uh, Rick Grimes over on The Walking Dead was being chased by that little girl, Walker, at the start of The Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, you know, when you're killing the children at the beginning, you know that it's a post-apocalyptic world. And, like, nobody's batting an eye or anything. Uh, I thought Tess was really interesting. I was like, okay, she's a badass. And uh, the whole hierarchy in this quarantine zone was incredibly fascinating. I was like, okay, like we're getting a lot of information really fast and it's really fascinating to watch. I mean, clearly Fedra has a a really strong stronghold on the area and in this post-apocalyptic society, if you're trying to escape, if you're heading into an area that might be um, where, where I guess the cordyceps might be and you might get infected. If you break the rules, like they're going to kill you because at the end of the day, it is a world that's living on rations. Like there isn't that much out there. So if you're misbehaving, you're going to die because that means, you know, someone else will be able to get fed or maybe might get shoelaces or, you know, might, you know, get some water to drink. It, it was interesting. It was really, really fascinating. Vinny, what do you think? So I am a huge fan. Uh, is Anna Torv, I think her name is? Yes, uh, ever, Fringe. Ever since Fringe, yeah. I, I, that was Fringe was when I discovered her, and then I watched her in this awesome show called, I think, Secret City on Netflix, where she's, like, involved in government conspiracies. She's an amazing actress, and honestly... I never would have associated her with playing Tess, but she's perfect. She is so spot on perfect for that role. I absolutely was thrilled when I realized it was her because at first I didn't recognize her. But the time jump and everything, I mean, it was necessary because we had a massive tragedy and now we have to get to the current timeline for the story and catch up with Joel and what's going on. How has the world changed? Because this isn't a story about the world ending. It's the story about how people are surviving after the world has basically ended as we knew it. And I thought it was a really great transition. It wasn't jarring. And I found myself very curious about the environment, just like I was when I played the game. So I think this was a really, really well done transition. Uh, Again, the cinematography, oh my God, the scene when the little child is like walking up to the, uh, quarantine zone and we just get these this brilliant 
like what sticks out the most to me in my memory is the nature scene as the kid is walking through the forest towards the quarantine zone. Like I have a 4K TV and I've never fully appreciated it until that moment, I think, because it was I literally felt like I could just jump through the screen. Um, I love the whole setup of, you know, the the society. And now we're you know finding out about, you know, what happens when you go outside of the QZ. And it really makes you curious about what this world is like and how did they get to where they are how are they surviving i also just want to say i love the whole thing about well what pays more probably the shoveling shit job right when we (laughs) when we first saw the kid i was like oh shit he's infected but then we saw him close up and i was like okay not infected but then the red light i was like oh infected and then the dead body and i was like okay really infected love killing children yeah I got flashbacks to the road to when they were like, I don't know if this is a deleted scene or not, but when they were roasting the baby, I was like, yeah, this is this is definitely a post-apocalyptic world when like they they just don't give a shit about children. They're gonna roast him if they have to. So like, I just felt bad. Like a part of me like, my heartstrings were tugged when she was like, when the lady in charge, the the military officer was like. We'll get you, like, all the toys you want, all the food you want to eat. We'll keep you safe. And then she, like, basically euthanized him like you do with dogs that you need to, like, put to sleep. Damn. That's some hardcore shit. And just, I I will reiterate, the Anator of Love, I watched Fringe 2. But, like, is it, I don't know if it's, like, the makeup or the fact that, like, she's gritty, like, I don't know, but I totally didn't know it was Anna Torv until afterwards when I was like, okay, who are these people? They're really good actors. And I looked them up, and I'm like, what? My oh. my, my wayfish beauty in, like, a power suit and a gun <laughs> is this? Is Tess? What? You want to know the moment that I recognized her, Priscilla? What? And we'll get, we'll get there eventually, so I won't give away too much, but it's the moment when they meet up with Marlene... And Ellie, right, that very first moment when she looks up and the light kind of hits her face, that was the only moment that she first looked like Anna Torv to me. So if you go back and watch that, maybe that'll register with you. But everything leading up to that, I had no idea. Yeah, she's she's a really good actress. They, they, they cast really good people this time around, like, for this show. It's really good. So, continuing on, we then see a girl who, as an audience, will later realize is called Ellie, being chained to a radiator and answering a series of questions very flippantly to a firefly. Ellie is claiming to be called Veronica. It then cuts to Joel cutting past a line of people to talk to a man with a radio setup. He says he hasn't heard from Tommy in three weeks, and Joel asks the man to point out on a map where the tower he's been communicating with is, and he points to Wyoming. Joel goes home, drinks some alcohol and pills, and plots. We see him still wearing his birthday watch, now broken. He goes to bed, and during the night, Tess flops into bed with him, holding him from behind as he turns away. Tess catches Joel up on what happened with Robert, and they agree to hunt Robert down, then use the battery to power a car to go find Tommy. Back with the Fireflies, we meet Marlene, the leader of the Boston faction. An underling asks why the girl is there and why they're attacking Fedra. 
Marlene explains it's to lure them away while she plans to escape with Ellie and take her out west. She gives the underling a note explaining why, then they both agree to take the girl where she needs to go. So it's, like, it's mysterious yet why they actually give a shit about Ellie and why they're holding her captive. But, Jeffrey, what did you think? Ellie was fascinating, Veronica, from the beginning. Because I was like, okay, why are you here? And, and I mean, I, I kind of assume based off of, once again, the trailer. Not that the trailer gave away too much, but I mean, it sets up the story. And, and clearly, by the end of this episode, we were going to get into what the story is. So we're getting to know these characters, and uh, we're seeing who's who and how they fit into sort of like the large story that they're planning on telling. Marlene, I loved from the beginning. I 100% adore Merle Dandridge. She just has this incredible presence to her. And uh, I know she's Marlene in the game. And so uh, based off of some BTS from uh, the BTS that they, they air after the episode, like she was like, when she heard that Marlene was going to be a character and that they were making this, she was like, I want that role. And she said in the BTS that she has kind of, like, aged into the role of Marlene. So she really wanted a chance to uh, make her, you know, to be her in the live-action version. And I thought she had a really great presence in the episode. Tess and Joel, you know, the way that she got into bed with him... It was very comfortable, and it was very intimate, without it being intimate, if you know what I'm saying. So I was like, oh, okay. I see what's going on here. Or at least I see sort of what's going on here. Uh, which I, I thought that was kind of neat, to sort of expand upon their relationship without really saying much. Vinny, what did you think? So I really enjoyed it. Um I mean, obviously, we are treading ground that I've walked through before, having played the game so many times. So this is an area that I was kind of getting a little bit bored, but not to the point that, like, I didn't enjoy it. Um, obviously, we've got to set the story and, and get to a point where, you know, we, we get into the journey with Joel and Ellie and how that starts. Um, I already mentioned I love Dana Torp. But, yeah, meeting Marlene and the setup of the history of how Ellie got to where she was, it was good. And I'm about to express an opinion that probably will, might make the both of you disagree with me vehemently, but I don't like the casting of Ellie. I don't enjoy her. Um, oh. I don't, uh, only because I feel like she's playing the same character she played in Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, it's almost exactly the same personality. It's the same exact kind of temper. Um I, she doesn't hit me as Ellie. She doesn't strike. And it's early, so I'm open to my decision of, or my judgment being changed. But just in this episode, it, it didn't strike me as a new departure for this actress. It was kind of like rote. She's played this before. Um, and so she really didn't strike me as a, a powerfully acted character in this episode. Um, that's probably the only weak point for me. But everything else I really enjoyed. So going off of what you said... I actually, like, one of the big, like, it's not even big. It's a little tidbit in the game that I always liked is uh, the voice actress, like, kind of has a special way of inflecting, like, when she curses, when she's like, fuck you. Like, it just, 
it's very guttural. Like, and I feel like the actress who plays Ellie, like, hit it really well. When I first heard the, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, fuck you, like, that was, I was like, okay, they cast the right person for this role. Because I was worried that she was just going to do a whole, like, and, like, the honest, like, Mormont again and just be, like, pouty, like, I don't know, just tough girl. But not that I didn't like Deanna Mormont. I really did like her. But, like, I, I, I wanted to see what range she has. And Ellie's different. And I feel like she, I feel like she, she played her differently. And I'm also, like, going to reiterate, like, what um Jeffrey said about Marlene. I really like the fact that they got the motion capture actress to play, like, her in the series. Like, you know that motion cap, like, acting for a game and acting for a show takes different, like, similar but different skill sets. Like, the camera, like, catches everything that, like, motion capture, like, really kind of doesn't. You have to, like, work with micro-expressions, whereas, like, everything's kind of smoothed out in a game. And they're just, like, it's kind of like a Disney artist taking inspiration from what you're doing, like, within motions. So the fact that she aged into the role and, like, was good enough to play her again is really, like, impressive to me. And kind of, like, a really good nod to, like, game fans who are, now that I'm thinking about it, are never going to be satisfied because they're either going to be like, this is too much like the game. This is boring. Or this is nothing like the game. This sucks. There's not, they're not respecting the role. So like, I, I think she treaded the line there and she like brought something new and interesting to the, to the character where, while still keeping the soul of the character alive. So I like appreciated that. And since like Jeffrey, do you have like any rebuttal towards like what you felt about Ellie? Because I remember, because I remember like you, like were like, oh, what do, what do you? Well, think? yeah, no, I mean, I know that there is uh, a um, there there is a vocal group online that don't seem to like her, and even before the episode uh, like aired, they were like set to like hate her in the role i didn't mind her um i was not a game of thrones fan uh, well i mean let me just say this it's not that i wasn't a game of thrones fan i've never seen game of thrones which might be even more shocking to some people but uh, <gasps> i know well y'all know this uh, well maybe not Vinny. that might have been brand new information for oh well, no i just any excuse for a dramatic gasp you know i'm gonna take it okay good i like it um but yeah like i've never seen it before it's on my list and and i was going to I was going to many times. I was going to after the series ended, but then I never did. And then I was going to before the spinoff or the prequel, whatever the hell you want to call it, but then I never did. Um, so I haven't yet. It, it is on my watch list on HBO Max, I promise. Like, it is there. Like, if I checked it right now, it's got a little check mark. Uh, but I've never seen it. So, like, I can't associate her with her Game of Thrones character. I can't really associate her with anything because I don't think I've seen Bella Ramsey in, in, in anything. So, so there's that. Um, but, but I didn't mind her. Like, I thought she was fine. I thought, I know that she's British. So uh, 
her American accent was good, and I believe I read that she actually had to learn an American accent for this. I guess she had never done a production where she needed one. And I thought it was it was good, and I liked the sass that she brought. I mean, let's be real. At the end of the day, Ellie and Joel have a lot of commonalities when it comes to personality. So, when we le- I, at least I feel like we get that by the end of the episode. So, um, both of them together, I, I knew was going to be really fascinating. Yeah, like, I think it's it's almost interesting that, like, she has to go up against the other, like, little girl to Joel in this episode. She has to go up against, like, what was an outstanding performance. And to give a nod to what Vinny said, like, she just kind of doesn't, like, come up to snuff. At least not until, to me, another part of the episode, which, like, I'll point out. But, like... I'm still waiting to see more. For now, I'm satisfied with with what I'm getting, but I'm waiting to be wowed by what I'm getting. Yeah, I'm not never like, be satisfied. <laughs> I'm not overly dissatisfied. I'm just kind of I'm very neutral, leaning towards not liking it. But I'm open to that opinion being changed. It just didn't change by the end of the episode for me yet. Mm. Okay, so we're gonna continue on where Joel is guarding Tess at a meeting, and a person who he later reveals to be a firefly comes to talk to Joel, only to be told to leave or he'll break his jaw. Tess finds out where Robert is hiding, and back at the firefly's hideout, Marlene talks to Ellie and gives her back her backpack after freeing her. Marlene reveals she put Ellie in the Fedra orphanage, and she knows her real name is not Victoria, not Victoria, not Veronica. When Ellie questions this, asking why a terrorist would give a baby to Fedra, Marlene counters with, was Riley a terrorist? And Ellie kind of solemnly asks to go home, but Marlene says she has a greater purpose and they're leaving. Cut to Tess and Joel, who track Robert to a building only to discuss the body of a dead man overgrown with fungi. They exit and find Robert's dead body and the battery, which is too messed up to use. There seems to have been a shootout. When Ellie rushes out of another door to attack Joel, he slams her to the wall, puts a foot on her drop knife, and points a gun at her. It's explained that Robert tried to sell the Fireflies a shitty battery. Marlene claims she needed it more than Joel, and Joel states she turned Tommy against him. After much discussion, Joel and Tess agree to take Ellie out of the QZ to the old Massachusetts State House stealthily in exchange for guns, a vehicle, and supplies once they arrive. Tess and Joel imply if they don't get what they want, they'll kill Ellie. No questions asked. So, I'm going to put a pause here and say, what did you think of the relationship between Tess and Marlene and the implications that are revealed between Marlene, Tommy, and Joel? Uh, Jeffrey? All of that was fascinating. It was juicy. Like, I wanted backstory. If there's anything about this episode, and I know it's the first one, so we can't get everything, but I don't know if this is going to be the type of series where we're going to see a lot of flashbacks, so I was hoping for some good exposition. Um, I, I wanted more. Like, I wanted to understand a lot more about the dynamic and that sort of thing, especially because 
we're going to talk about it, but so I won't jump too far ahead, but by the end of the episode, like we're leaving. So I was like, I need all the information right now. Like what happened with Tommy? Tommy, I guess is a firefly. What's going down with this? You know, we've got a girl that's going to save the world. Um, you know, clearly there is a bit of like disdain that Joel has for Marlene, uh, Tess just wanted a damn battery, like, you know, what's going down, um, the weird man that was, like, cordycepted on the wall, like, I mean, it was, it was a lot. Also, the fact that they didn't hear any gunshots, and they were in the same damn building, just a couple floors down, like, I thought that was a little sus. It was a little weird for me, um, because clearly shit had just gone down, um, but, uh, outside of that... Everything was still really fascinating. What they did, I know I just bitched about it, but even though I just bitched about it, I'm a Gemini, so I can change my mind, or at least I can have the second opinion. It was still fascinating how, as much as I wanted to see more, I like that throughout this episode, we had characters joining scenes or or like, you know, getting into scenes where... They had no idea what the fuck just happened. We saw that 20 years prior when Sarah, you know, runs out of the neighbor's house and like the car parks and it's her uncle and her father and it looked like shit had gone down with them because they're a little bit like hurt and bloody. But so but we don't really know what happened when Joel went to bail out Tommy um, so that was kind of fascinating. And then we have Joel and Tess showing up at the Fireflies headquarters. And there was like a whole, you know, shootout at the OK Corral situation that happened. And uh, clearly, um, Robert uh, went, um, I don't know if I want to say cray cray, but like, you know, I mean, he was selling them faulty um equipment and they realized it and so he was just trying to save his life by shooting shooting them but he ended up getting shot but i mean it was a whole situation and so basically what i'm saying even though i sort of bitched about not getting enough information it was still kind of refreshing for them to sort of join i mean this probably isn't the right usage of the term but kind of in media res sort of in media's res like you know they're just like thrust into this sequence and clearly you know once again to talk about the trailers you know we see that it's joel and the girl like traveling the world somehow joel needed to be there so that he has to be the one to smuggle or transport this young girl um i don't feel like i saw a lot of tests in the trailer so I, now i might be worried for her life but um Tessa, it was nice knowing you, is basically what I'm saying. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, tune in. I'm not going to say anything, just right, tune in. Stay tuned. Um, Vinny, what were your thoughts on this, like, smudge of background? I love the fact that it, like Jeff's saying, you want to see flashbacks because there's clearly a history here. And I will say that without having the flashbacks and without having any kind of exposition about their history that is obviously between all these characters. The actors did a phenomenal job of portraying the tension 
between them that communicates that history without us seeing it. Like you can clearly tell that there's some bad blood here from the past. We don't know exactly what it is, but there's some trust issues and some other issues going on. And so I, I really love the chemistry in this scene between all of the actors. I think it was well acted, well portrayed just overall, like walking away from it. You don't necessarily need to know everything, but you do have an understanding that like, Joel and Tess are very reticent to do what they need to do in order to get what they want, but they realize this is their best opportunity, and so they're going to do it, even if it means having to deal with the Fireflies. So I really liked that. Um, this whole section was great. Like I really loved watching him and Tess like going through the the whatever what, there was a tunnel or whatever, and seeing the cordyceps on the wall, and you know finding the body with blood dripping behind the secret door, whatever it was. I thought it was really suspenseful, and I really loved the way that they did the artwork for the cordyceps. Also, I don't think we've talked about it too much, but the music, like the score, like really really spot on throughout the episode i forgot to mention this earlier like it's not in your face but they do a really great ambient musical score to the show and i really enjoyed it in this section if i remember correctly they use the same music director that did the game so that would make sense like everything about it like i i didn't mention this but like when i heard that they were going to have like those particular actors when they were going to have the same musical director when they were going to have the same, like, head writer that Naughty Dog used for uh, this show. And when I heard that they got the guy that did Chernobyl to direct, I was like, this is going to be a really good show. I hope this doesn't make me eat my words, but, like, you have the recipe for some really good shit. So I am down for this. And as for the scene itself... I'm just going to say, I don't know whether it was practical effects. I don't know whether it was CGI helping it along. But the dead body that's, like, all cordyceps style and, like, just overgrown with fungi looks so gross and, like, almost... And this is going to sound so weird, but if, like, you've watched Hannibal, like, you know what I'm getting at here. Almost beautiful in its macabreness, like, and how, like, gruesome it is and how detailed it is. Like, it just, it's amazing. I loved it. Like, this, we've come a long way from Buffy Monster of the Day practical effects. Like, this shit is really beautiful. And I'm going to say, I flinched when Joel, like, basically body slams Ellie to the wall. I was like, damn, they really don't give a shit about kids anymore. Like, this is... This is the bad days when a kid gets no respect at all. But then again, she was coming at him with a knife. So, like, I, I, I can see why he's doing that. And also, like, speaking as someone who, like, had a little girl and lost, like, his little girl. Like, I'm betting he's doing his damnness to, like, keep his heart hard from any children whatsoever, like, making it even worse. So, like, he'd probably, like, if you ever met him and you were like, hey, here's my kid, he'd probably ignore the shit out of them or, like, bully them just because he doesn't want to, like, feel any emotions towards them. So, like, I don't know. I I like all this. And I like the fact that they brought up Riley, like, as, like, a little, like, sly, like, was Riley a terrorist? Like, it's good i like the fact that they're bringing up all of this like little backstory this little tidbits that if you're like an avid viewer and like you're gonna like see and be like huh i wonder who that is 
and if you're a gamer, like you're gonna love the fact that they brought it up like in any case, like so early. So yeah. With that being said, we'll continue on and go with Joel and Tess to take Ellie to their place. And they just kind of shut her in a room while they argue logistics. And while they're arguing logistics, Ellie snoops and sees a code, which is 60, nothing in, 70, new stock, and 80, X. When Joel comes inside, Ellie asks about Bill and Frank and about the code, asking what 80s means. As Joel gets ready to nap and while they waste time, Ellie mentions that Joel's watch is broken. When Joel wakes up, Ellie states that she's never been on the other side of the QZ wall, then asks Joel if they're going to be okay once they get to the other side, to which Joel says they will. Joel asks what Ellie's deal, if she's some bigwig's daughter, and Ellie says something like that. Ellie then mentions that while Joel was asleep, the radio came on and played a song that went, Wake me up before you go-go. Joel responds, shit. To which Ellie says, gotcha, 80s means trouble, code broken. Soon after, Tess returns and they say it's time to head out. The trio sneaks out of the QZ, only to be caught by the soldier Joel previously sold pills to. Holding a gun to them, he tells them to get on their knees as he uses a machine to check them. Ellie attacks, and before the soldier can do anything, Joel has a flashback to his daughter's death by soldier and attacks, beating him to death as Ellie watches, transfixed. Tess sees the machine turn positive for Ellie, and Ellie promises she's not infected, that she was bitten three weeks ago and nothing happened. They agree to run away from Fedra as the radio plays 1987's Depeche Mode song, Never Let Me Down Again. Trouble. So, Vinny... What did you think about this conclusion to the episode? You know, anytime you adapt something that already exists in a pre-existing medium in full and you have to make that decision and like, all right, if it's a movie, where do we start? Where do we finish? What do we cut in the medium of TV? It's like, okay, well, episodes, we can only have so much happen and we've got to find a point where like we want to keep them coming back for more. I don't think they could have picked a better moment to end the episode on. This was absolutely visceral, and I am so glad that they didn't shy away from including the violence. Like, this whole segment, also, the music, loved it. I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan. Uh, But just, you know, Ellie coming in as this, like, tough as nails, you know, that's how she presents herself. And then you could actually see, I will give the actress credit, like the, sh- the kind of shock and surprise in her face. She was transfixed watching this happen. I, I will give her credit there. Um, and Pedro Pascal just beating the crap out of this guy. Like it was all so visceral and like you were in the moment with them. And it really gives us a window into the darkness that lays inside the depths of the character of Joel's soul. This man has been through hell, 20 years without his daughter, watching her die right in his arms, you know, and having then to adapt in this world without her has really, you can tell he's been through some shit. And he's a very, very, I'm going to keep everything close to my heart kind of character. He's very one note, it seems, emotionally at first. But I think this is the moment where we really get to see a strong reaction from him. And you feel the pain that he has gone through and the fear because he has the flashback to Sarah. And honestly, I think even if we didn't have the flashback to her dying in his arms and getting shot and we just saw him reacting to the the soldier, I think the audience would have understood because the very beginning, you know, when that all happened is still fresh in our minds. 
but having the flashback there just kind of puts the nail in the coffin of your emotions and like really makes you feel for how traumatized he is as a character and I thought this was a great way to kind of end the first episode to start the fact that they're going on this journey together they're going into uncharted territory and they're virtually strangers they don't know each other and so right off the bat, she's watching this guy that's supposed to protect her beat the living shit out of someone. And that really might make you question, like, is this the right person I should be with? So you do kind of feel for the character of Ellie wondering, you know, where this is going to go. Obviously, if you played the game, you know. But I thought this was a really great stopping point. And I loved the whole, oh, 80s is bad news. It was a moment where we start to see the beginnings, like the seeds of the relationship that we'll see grow and blossom between Joel and Ellie for the season. Jeffrey? What did you think about the conclusion to the episode? It's interesting because I took almost the exact opposite impression from what Vinny just said in the sense that I thought Ellie liked it when he beat the shit out of the man. I don't think she was second-guessing herself. I, I felt like if we could have seen the inside of her soul, it was smirking. Like, yeah, beat the shit out of that motherfucker. Like, I, I thought like I, I thought she was going to start yelling, like, yeah, more. Like, it, I thought she was, like, hyping up. Like, I thought she liked it. So uh, that's how I interpreted it. And based off of just the tidbits of what we've gotten about her, uh, you know, it, it seems as if no one's really fought for her. And so I sort of took it like oh, he's fighting for me. Like, I love this. And for Joel, it was his moment that he couldn't do 20 years before. Like, he couldn't save his daughter. And so this isn't his daughter, but she's an age-appropriate sort of equivalent to his daughter 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, maybe even, you know, for a moment in, in the blind rage of, of paternal protectiveness, he saw her as his daughter, and so he got to do what he didn't get the chance to do 20 years ago. So I thought that was a really great moment for him. Um, I didn't think he beat him to death, but maybe you're right, Priscilla. I, I mean, you know, maybe you don't come back from that. But, um, yeah, like I didn't understand what that man's point was. Like, I get it. He's supposed to be a... Um, an obstacle for them to escape, to smuggle Ellie. But at the end of the day, I was like, dude, like you have a business arrangement with this man. Like nobody is there. You're taking a piss. Let them go. Like I didn't see why he had to like try to make an example out of him. Like you clearly know this man and he's getting pills for you. Um... You know, do you really want him talking about the fact that he gets pills for you? Like, I don't know. I felt like it was going to be a, a lose-lose situation for everybody. So I didn't see the reason why he had to hold them back. But then again, because he does, he tests them, and then they find out the truth about Ellie, which, you know, we get sort of confirmation that she is infected with cordyceps but hasn't turned. And so, basically, she's like the miracle person that could lead to a cure for the world. So, yes, she might not be actually a big wig's daughter, but she is a big damn deal. 
And I thought that was an, a nice little moment of um, affirmation in regards to that. Because I feel like for, for those of us that have no clue about anything about the game, I was like, okay, all of that makes sense. And this is vital information that we need to know in this first episode. You know, I, I appreciate that you're like, new you're you're stepping in a new territory watching this this episode because i had this exact discussion with somebody online where they were like i I didn't like that they kind of spoon fed all the information to you like with ellie being like no i'm not infected i was in i was bitten three weeks ago i'm like but someone who's never heard of the game before is gonna need like that information explained to them like they need it stated play now or else they're going to come up with, like, their own, like, kooky theories as to who she is and, like, what's going on that might, like, disappoint them when they're not true, which happens a lot, like, with any, like, little mystery in a movie, in a movie or TV show. So I like the fact that you, that, that you approved of that. And I will agree with you and agree with the behind-the-scenes, like, thing where uh, Ellie kind of looks transfixed at him beating the soldier because she likes the fact that someone's sticking up for her and the fact that she was raised in an orphanage and she has someone like an older adult like protecting her something that probably in like this vast desolate wasteland like she's never actually had anyone who gave a shit enough to like do something like that to her to take a human life like is amazing to her and you kind of get the hint of that with spoiler alert uh the preview for the next episode where she's like have you ever done it before and i think it's implying that she's asking like have you ever killed someone before so like i think the death itself like intrigues her and i guess in the time of like the apocalypse you've got to be hard like things like that move you life and death move you so and I mentioned this before in the episode so here it is this is the moment that like really like confirmed to me that Ellie was perfectly cast by Bella Ramsey because like that face that she gave when she's looking at Joel like it had like almost a balance of childish innocence like being broken by like harsh realities and I don't know I I saw that and like I couldn't like my eyes were just glued to the screen I was like wow and speaking as like the fact that Naughty Dog kind of I get that you have people that argue that it this isn't the case but if you had Elliot Page herself like sue Naughty Dog because they're like because she's like, this character in your video game looks a lot like me, sounds a lot like me. I don't care that your motion capture actress, like, is somewhat like me. Like, it's weird, and I'm coming out with a game myself. You need to quit the shit. And to which they replied, our game is more successful. Lol, your appearance means nothing to us. Like, we have our own way. And they, they, they won their case. So, like... I get that people already had, like, set parameters in mind when they came up with who they, who was going to portray Ellie. But again, with, like, 
casting that isn't exactly like point for point what the facial features are of Ellie, what the facial features are for Sarah, what the facial features are for Joel. The fact that these are actors are like encapsulating what the character means to the story, what emotions are behind it, like is enough for me. I really liked that. And to just end things a little lighter, her little like code broken was so cute. I loved the fact like I completely forgot about the fact that like 80s means trouble in the in the series and it took until me like talking to someone else and they're like yeah Depeche Mode song came out in 1987 this isn't just like uh like a side note this is an 80s song it means trouble like I was like whoa I totally like whoosh that went over my head so I, I I really liked that. It was just a cool song to end the episode on. It meant something. So with that being said, since we've concluded the episode, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you the most throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. And I'm going to be really nice. Because Jeffrey never gets to choose first in most of the podcasts because he is the moderator. And let him go first in our first episode. Who is your MVP and why? Uh, Carpola. It's funny because the one time when I don't want to go first, I get to go first. Because I have two choices. I do have one of the two that I will be picking. But it's it's like a Sophie's choice. Um, but I, I am leaning towards one character more. And so I'm apologizing to both of you because I don't know if if she was on your list, but I got to give it to Sarah. Nico Parker was just spectacular and I sort of effused an immense amount of praise um, on her at the start of this podcast. And I'm just going to continue at the end. I mean, she sucked us into the show. Like she really did. Like, if you didn't know anything and if you weren't as sort of suspicious as I was uh, about, you know, if you hadn't seen the trailers and so you weren't suspicious like I was in regards to, like, well, she it doesn't seem like she's there in the future, um, you might not have known that she was not the protagonist because she was set up to be the lead like you're watching the first 20 minutes of this episode and you're like okay we're getting to know the main character of this series and they played that off really well nico parker as an actor to make us care about her and to make us root for her and to be really worried about her safety for about 30 minutes props to her because you know i feel like there are some actors out there that are on, like, anthology shows, and, uh, you know, we could give three craps if they die by the end of that hour episode, and I was very worried for her character's life. So, um, I was rooting for you, even though I knew you had to go, but my MVP, I have to give it to Sarah. Ouch. That was the one I was going to choose, but I I respect that. So... Again, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be like Jeffrey and take his like his example and always go last. So I'm going to let Vinny go next. See, originally, 
when I was writing down who my MVPs were going to be, Sarah was my number one, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, okay, she's the most obvious first choice for everybody. So I forced myself to choose my number one as my backup, and that's going to be Tess. Um, out of all of the characters, after Sarah, Tess was the only one that really fully resonated with me. Uh, I, As far as like if I was listing them in order of favorites, it would be Sarah followed by Tess. And Tess was just really well acted. She's well written. I love her gumption. I love the character in the game. I think Anna Torv really brought it playing the character, and I'm excited to see the rest of her journey as Tess. Um, yeah, I, I think she really, really was like the perfect casting. And the funny thing was, I don't think I ever would have suggested her for it, but the fact that she was cast in it and seeing it, she there's no other choice for me to play Tess. Since we've had two people pick two female characters, I'm going to continue the trend and go for my second favorite character since my first was taken and go for Ellie because I thought she had, like, she had one of the most difficult, like, roles to handle because not only is she following, like, a bang-up job from the first, like, character to die, but she is the protagonist of the series, and she's known for another series that, like, she took a role and embodied it to the point where even the writer of the show is like, hmm, I'm going to put this in the book. Like, it's... She has huge shoes to fill, and she managed to do it, like, well. That part at the end where she's staring at Joel was just poetry. I loved it. And her parts where she's, like, bantering around with Marlene and bantering with Joel, with the radio, like, they they bring a sense of, like, kitty innocence that, like, I'm impressed, like, in a post-apocalyptic world she still has, especially since she's been bitten. So, obviously, she's faced, like, really terrible shit and still come off it, like, thinking that the world might not be, like, that bad. Like, so, it brings about, like, a sense of wonder that I didn't think could be possible anymore in a post-apocalyptic world. So, I respect that. I respect the actress. I think she's doing an amazing job. And with that being said, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Infected. And since Vinny is usually the Debbie Downer, I'm going to let him go first. (laughs) Oh. I I feel like that was a call-out. That was like a nice version of Shade at the same time. I love it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, overall, this was a great episode. You know, it's a preface and the first step on a journey between two characters that we're going to get to know very well as we journey alongside them. Um, however, I'm I'm not at the point that, like, right out of the gate, I'm, I want to give it a golden. Um, there were some areas that I, I didn't necessarily think that we needed. It wasn't anything, and I'm not going to rehash them. Overall, I think my problem was there were some pacing issues for me in a couple of areas. Um, walking away from it, it doesn't feel like a golden. It would barely be a 10 for me so i'm going with a 9.5 i think it was overall excellent there were just a couple of things that i didn't care for but they weren't enough to significantly drastically reduce the grade okay with a 9.5 starting out jeffrey what did you give it 
well, I am kinder than Vinny. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's the little preface to what I'm about to give it. Uh, I'm not going to give it a full-on golden either, just because I do want to give it room to grow. But this was a riveting hour and 25 minutes worth of television for me. As someone who is not familiar with any of this outside of just doing a little bit of research so I didn't go like completely blind into this, I'm giving it a solid 10. I thought this was one of the most fascinating, captivating, suspenseful premieres of a TV show that I've seen in a moment. Like I got sucked into this world and I'm really excited to see what happens next. Part of it is, you know, several of the stuff that we've already given kudos to. The cinematography, the musical score, the actors. Like, I don't know if we're going to see some of these actors again, you know, as far as flashbacks or anything. But, you know, Sarah, Marlene, uh, both of them made an incredible presence in just this one episode. And I don't know if we're going to see them again. Um, and the rest of the cast, uh, like, everyone was really fascinating. So um, the costuming, I don't think we've discussed. The VFX or practical effects with the infected, like, all of it was top-notch. It, it was an HBO budget, and it all showed in everything. So for me, it was a wonderful pilot episode so i'm gonna give it a solid 10 as a surprising turn of events it's my turn and i'm gonna be the russian judge here if you if you're if you really pay attention to how i moderated it the first 30 minutes were done in little chunks because there was so much stuff to cover in like the span of five minutes i would say but After Sarah's death, I tended to cram, like, a lot of, like, words for each section because they went through a lot of exposition and a lot of, like, just really boring parts that, like, you were just kind of like, okay, so why are they concentrating on the dust motes on the wall? Like, or why are they, like, giving us, like, all of this, like, backstory that we really don't need like it just why are they spoon feeding stuff to us so I appreciated that it was there for like new viewers but as someone who's like seen the story play out I'm like pick up the pace a little come on like an hour and a half shouldn't feel like an hour and a half to me I'm not in a in a the movie the avatar wanting to pee right like so bad because I, I because I'm transfixed by the by the effects, I'm feeling the time pass slowly. Like, come on. So I just, I don't know. Like, first half impressed me, would have been giving me, would have given it a golden. But second half was average at best, like, with a few, like, scenes that stood out to me as, like, some good drama, like some okay drama for HBO. With the fact that we've had, like, basically the first season of Game of Thrones, like, and the reiteration House of the Dragon, like, I know HBO can come up with some really good shit. And this is a guy that's a Chernobyl, so, like, he's got incredible, like, 
he's got chutzpah, like he's got gumption, but I didn't feel like it hit those highs of like what a pilot could be. So I'm going to give it an 8.5. It's okay. Has room to grow is passing and a really good passing. It's still a B plus, but I expect more going on ahead. So with that being said, join us next time for brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Cordyceps Chronicles and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish listeners a good night, starting with Jeffrey. Have a good night, listeners. Come along with us as we travel throughout a post-apocalyptic United States. And Vinny. Have a good night, everyone. Be careful of mushrooms lest they start stalking you. Ah, I like it. Waka, waka, waka. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night.